So we're looking at the building blocks, really. We're not looking at this gene result means that you are destined to develop a certain condition. It, in fact, I feel it's quite the opposite. It's about empowerment and enablement. Um, so I initially did have some reservations about some of the genes that we tested, but then the more I know and the more I listen to experts and clinicians, then the more I'm convinced that all the things that we test for can be adjusted for, can be supported. Um, and that for me is the most important point of everything that we do. It's what's the point in knowing something if you can't do anything. Hello, and welcome to Cancer Talks podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I appreciate your joining me with my co-hosts, nutritional therapists, Linda Sims and Andrea Burton. Today, we are delighted to say that we have Emma Bezik joining us. She is the founder of Life Code GX. We talk with Emma about genetics and nutrigenomics and the beauty of our genes and how we can influence our health and well-being through food and lifestyle changes. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cancer Talks podcast. It is absolutely wonderful to have you here. And we are here to talk to you about your business, Life Code GX, and how this can actually be a wonderful, I don't know it's, if you would say an add-on or something that can really help and support people who've had a cancer diagnosis. So we're here to talk about a little bit about you and why maybe a little bit you could give us some background on why you started Life Code GX. I think that would be great. And then okay. we can get more into talking about the tests that you do and how that supports people who've been diagnosed with cancer. Does that sound good to you all? Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Right. Hi, Emma. Hello. Hello, team. <laughs> Lovely to see you. So I was studying nutritional therapy uh, at CNM and the the lecture that really, really kind of struck me and enthused me and grabbed me was the one on nutrigenomics. Um, and so even before I'd finished my training, I decided to set up a, a company specialising in this. And the main reasons were that, yes, it grabbed me. I could see a huge potential um, to truly work with personalised nutrition um, but also there didn't seem to be many uh, solutions out there in terms of responsible ethical robust scientifically based companies um, providing that sort of interpretation and support um, there were quite a lot of fairly trivial ones or quite a lot of companies specializing in you know DNA relatives and finding long-lost uh, relatives and things like that but not really doing nutrigenomics in a professional way and so that's really what we set out to do uh, almost five years ago Gosh. Um, wow now yeah it's amazing time has flown <laughs> um, 
So, um, and we started off by just doing data interpretation using third party data, and then quite quickly decided that that wasn't really satisfactory. Um, both because we couldn't test what we wanted to test in terms of the specific things that were clinically relevant. Um, and also from the perspective of um, confidentiality and security and all of that. So we wanted to make sure that this is a, a an end-to-end whole service, um, that people have confidence that their information is confidential and it's been used by people who can get the most from it out of that information and provide the support. And I still very, very firmly believe that practitioner support is an essential part of this process, mm. especially when we're dealing with something like cancer. I think this is really important what you said about the security because that's the first question I always get asked. You know, is this secure? What happens to my data? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, you know, still goes on. You can get your DNA done cheaply, um, but there's always a reason for something being cheap. And generally that reason is that that data is valuable to the people who are offering that service. And so they want to use it for other purposes. Mm. Um, We don't use it for any other purpose but to provide the client with their reports that's it there is no ulterior uh, motive and no other motive it's just very very straightforward um and we've always taken that perspective that view that there is much more um per- that's a good enough purpose we don't need anything else we don't want to sell it um, we're doing what we do if people ask mon say well okay but what happens to my sample after you've used it what what would you say so it, the sample itself is kept for three months, um, just in case we'd want to resample it. So you can resample the DNA one more time. Um, so, for example, if we decided to add more to our panel and we wanted to test additional things, we could resample it within three months. But then it's completely destroyed um, using a standard lab destruction process. Um, And all the way through, the only connection between that sample and the individual is the direct life code employees and the practitioner. Um, So the sample goes to the lab as an anonymised sample. It's just given a number. And sorry, guys, but you are just a number. When, <laughs> as far as that sample is concerned, it's it's never attached to a name or mm. date of birth or any other identifier. Um, the only people who can make that connection are us and the practitioner um, who receives the reports. And then after the sample is destroyed, after six months, the data, everything associated with that test is is also wiped um, because we take it's always a fine balance between convenience and security but we think that is a that's good enough it's long enough for people to go oh I've got a question about this or um, you know didn't I have I received all my reports or whatever those queries might be um, so we think we've got the balance right and that's the feedback that we're getting is that the our approach to confidentiality for the people who do our tests and the reasons that they do our tests is is right and it's hitting the spot with them 
Okay. Okay. So now we should we should mention that uh, the test is a saliva test because that's another another thing that uh, clients always ask. They don't want to be testing themselves with a finger prick blood test, but this is a saliva test, so nice and easy. Yeah. It's really easy and it's very forgiving in terms of stability as well. So you don't need to cool it or freeze it or anything like that. Just put it in the tube, put the lid on, um, put it back in the post box and it arrives back with us. And we have a very high success rate in terms of the the, the results of the genotyping. Um, it's maybe like one in a, a couple of hundred that, that fail. And if that is the case, we provide the test repeat free of charge so wow. that's all built into the the process so and so that's like a little just a, a swab in your cheek not it's not like the test that you have to have nowadays for other things the way you have to really make yourself no. it's just no. a little swab in the cheek yeah it's the cheek cells so you're just kind of swiping Amazing. gently the inside of your cheek yeah it's not back of your throat it's not spitting into a big tube and spending ages doing any of that either it's I I think it couldn't be simpler some people do get it wrong um but you know on the whole it's a really nice logistically easy non-invasive thing to do you've been really smart or clever about the way you have set this up to make it as bomb proof is the wrong word but really user friendly for people so actually you do get that people are actually going to use it because it because also it can be quite scary I think that's the other thing that's behind it isn't it confidentiality you've nipped in the bud but still at the end of it is what people are going to find out about themselves yeah and that's the difference between nutrigenomic testing and other kinds of genetic testing that you might find within a medical environment for example so we're not diagnosing people with a condition we are looking at how the body responds to certain nutrients or has uh, an additional need for a certain nutrient or a form of nutrient and then where that nutrient works within our overall systems um, to make us healthy or or not the consequences for example of not having enough vitamin d because your genes don't process vitamin d as efficiently or respond to vitamin d as efficiently um, so we're looking at the building blocks really we're not looking at this gene result means that you are destined to develop a certain condition In fact, I feel it's quite the opposite. It's about empowerment and enablement. Um, So I initially did have some reservations about some of the genes that we tested, but then the more I know and the more I listen to experts and clinicians, then the more I'm convinced that all the things that we test for can be adjusted for, can be supported um and that for me is the most important point of everything that we do it's what's the point in knowing something if you can't do anything absolutely I think, I think that's the key isn't it because I think it's again people hear about genetic testing and think oh I don't really want to know if I'm predisposed to a certain 
medical condition or not. And some people are absolutely, I need to know, you know, you've got people like either sides of the pole, but this is, this is not like that at all. It's like you said, it's empowering people to look at how their body works in a way in terms of taking in the nutrients and processing them and keeping the body healthy. So it's, it's a little yeah. bit more, yeah, I, th- I like the idea of the empowering. Yeah. And I genuinely feel that I really, really do. And, you know, it partly it can be an explanation. So it can be an explanation as to why people have experienced certain symptoms, you know, whether that's fatigue, whether it's allergies, um, whether it's um, kind of sensitivity to smells, things like that, just you name it, it can be an explanation as to, okay, I'm not, I wouldn't, some people wouldn't necessarily say they're ill even, but they just know that they're, they've got some weaker points, some vulnerabilities that might niggle away and bother them. I mean, who hasn't, really? You know, we've we've all got, it's kind of, what's your nemesis? Well, what is your health nemesis? There's something that we all know is is our weak point or weaker points. Mm -hmm. And it, first of all, can be an explanation as to why that is the case. But most of all, it's a solution or it offers solutions. And I think that's the beautiful thing, isn't it? Because mm. the girls will tell you that when I got uh, DNA tested for my whole family, my initial thing was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but then, you know, stepping back away from it and say, okay, now I know what I need to do. And I, and it's, yeah. but it's very empowering. And, and you start to understand, you know, why certain things may be the way they are and what we can, and what we can do about them. I think that's really, really important mm. because... Yeah. Lots of times when clients see um, their DNA test, you know, they think, so I'm doomed, but it's, it's not, not, you're not doomed. This is giving us a blueprint. And based on that, we can really support you in a very mm. optimal and precise way. Mm. I think it's really, I think for me, I've done two or three, I think, with, with you, Emma. And I think um, for me, it's a couple of things that were really interesting, just sort of as an example for people listening, trying to understand what we're talking about. There were two things on mine, which I'm quite happy to talk about. I mean, there were a few others, but um, the coffee, the whole coffee thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I now know that I, I find it difficult to break down the caffeine in my body. So it kind of made perfect sense to me. And I now don't drink it after 12 o'clock because I know, I just know. And, you know, a lot of people do say, oh, I can't have caffeine in the afternoon, but now I know why. Um, and the other yeah. one with alcohol, you know, my family has an issue with alcohol and now I know why. Um, so I think it's, it's like, oh God, really? That's why. Okay. Now I can move forward. Now I know that. And it's just yeah. understanding a little bit more about how my body works means that I can actually make some changes and, and these don't have yeah. to be massive changes either. Sometimes, you know, they're just the little changes that you can make to make your body finely tuned. It's yeah. like tuning an engine, isn't it? In a way. It is. It's really is tuning it. And I think, you know, a couple of people have used the term precise. Well, it can be quite precise. Mm -hmm. And I think once you know something and you understand why, most people do respond to that knowledge better than just being told, oh, you shouldn't do too much of this. You know, don't have too much sugar, don't drink, don't have coffee. You know, all the things that people like doing. Um, Of course, you know, People are just going to go, oh, I know, but... Yeah. 
But when you've got a piece of paper that says, oh, this is how it affects you individually, Mm. then I think you're more, people are more inclined to go, oh, okay, next time I'm thinking about doing this. Or they'll just, they'll know in the heart of hearts that is what it does usually. The penny drops, you know, it's kind of like, okay. Or maybe they were in denial, but now they've got it in front of them. They've got to process it. And it's really important to, to to do it with a practitioner because these tests are um, they're, they're very sciencey and they have to be because of the nature of what they are. And you know there are yeah. tests out there that you can just go and do, and it just gives you a massive report of numbers and figures and bits of words here and there. And I think it's really important that people do it with a practitioner so they can actually truly understand what the outcome yeah. is. Yeah. Because it's oversimplistic uh, to just think you can do a test and it'll it's like an instruction manual. Mm. That's what, you know, in some ways, that's what I hoped it would be when I first started off. Because my background is, is being a data analyst. That was my life. And so I saw this opportunity that was really about, wow, there's all this data. And you mm-hmm. can just, if you've got the formula, you can just convert it into something meaningful. And you can to some extent, but that's just using the data. The real power is when you have a practitioner who puts that interpretation because it is the potential um, together with the actual individual who is sitting there and the other dynamics in their lifestyle, like their nutrient intake so some people might already be compensating for a weaker aspects of their genetics and they might have just intuitively you know grown to love broccoli or whatever or beetroot or whatever it happens to be without really understanding why but they've always just been drawn to it but and so they might get their report and it might say oh this person you're more at risk of having low folate for example or not being able to detoxify your estrogen um but actually they might already intuitively or for other reasons be taking those actions and so the key isn't just to pile even more on it's kind of you know, and it's that putting it together with the the reality of that person, their life at that point, and therefore what it means when you connect it and look at it in that connected way. It reinforces those um, positive changes that they've already made in their in their lifestyle and in their diet, and I think that's really lovely to see. This this is why I'm doing this. And this is what it's doing for me. And I think that, you know, that is, is, again, we're back to the empowering. It is very empowering. It's, yeah. I think it's good because it not only gives the, the person, the individual, the opportunity to really own their health, which, you know, that's my big thing. I've been on and on and on. And um, can we talk a little about the different panels and the different tests that you do? Um, mm-hmm. Is that is that okay? Are you guys happy for us to move on to that? Uh, can I just say say one thing before we start? Um, of course, because we are talking about um, cancer um, or patients with cancer, and uh, for, from my point of view, you know, when I see my clients who have been diagnosed with cancer, they kind of lose control in many ways because it's from one appointment to another appointment, treatment, surgeries, and and it, everything seems to be sort of out of her hands. And I think that actually testing. Um, and showing them that there's something we can 
control, something we can manage and actually give them that power that there's something they can concentrate on to support them, their health. And I think that it's that that's why I love um, testing DNA because that really gives us that that another part of sort of their self-care and very precise. Yeah, I think also in the context of uh, cancer or other conditions of the other stages that people are at with their health, that can also alter the advice that comes with the results. So, for example, if someone is in, if someone is having treatment and they're having chemotherapy, their genetics might show that they they have an increased need for glutathione and antioxidants. But while they're in in that sort of treatment, that might be contraindicated. So, as the practitioner, that's the sort of um, consideration that can be taken into account to make sure that. You know, the gene, because the code is a code, so the code is fixed, but it's the variable is that person's um, life at that point in time. And therefore, you've got to combine those those pieces of information. And I, um, I think that's actually quite key, Emma, because I think a lot of people now, um, you know, you hear about supplementation and you hear about, antioxidants you hear about this and that and you go to your um local health food shop and you you buy up a load of stuff because you're not well and people never seem to think that that might be contraindicated with a particular drug or treatment Mm. that they're going through and often i find particularly with my clients i don't know about you linda but when you ask people what they're taking they very rarely remember to tell you about supplements you have to ask specifically they don't see it as a I don't know. I mean, it's not it's not a pharmaceutical, I know, but it's still something extra you're putting in your body and you need to check mm. um, whether that supplement reacts with what or interacts with, with what you're doing for treatment-wise. And the number of people I've seen taking, you know, different antioxidants on chemotherapy and just say, no, 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 stop. You know, this is, let, let's have another conversation because they just forget to tell people. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. it. Absolutely. So shall we have a little chat about some of the panels? Um, so I so I would say, first of all, we have a nutrient core panel and that's almost like a health check for individuals to say, are there any big stakes in the ground weak points like vitamin D, um, for example, glutathione, for example, um, that might just always be more of a struggle to achieve um and some of these things are in the other panels as well so there are overlaps um but i think you know if you have a variant on a gene that controls or impacts vitamin d status for example then that's always that's going to mean that for you as an individual you might have fairly good exposure to sunlight or you think you do and you might have a diet that includes oily fish and sources of vitamin d but actually you aren't ever really achieving your optimum vitamin d status and that could have very far-reaching different effects depending on other weak points um, and other environmental factors 
Um, and it could be things that are rumbling along under the surface for quite a long time without any obvious, to that person, any obvious symptoms. Um, so I think with everybody, there's a benefit to knowing in terms of essential nutrients like vitamins, are there any weak links there? Um, it's like the foundation, really. And, and and also it's fairly easy for people to understand in a non-scary way that, you know, they, people know what vitamin C is, they know what vitamin D is, especially now, mm-hmm. you know, if there's any good come out of the whole COVID thing, people do have an awareness, there, or there is a better awareness yeah. of, of nutrition and, and essential nutrients. Um, so I think there's, you know, you're kind of building on something that people already know about rather than throwing something at them that is a whole new, like, scary thing. Yeah. It's like just slipping it in there as a like, extra bit of information about something that is already kind of, yeah, I understand that, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, and I think it's, I have a family member who, on the vitamin D side, you know, can't, exactly as you said, we didn't know until we did your test and we found out that um it's difficult well he can't process his vitamin d so um the massive difference is in his mood and who would have thought that you know who, who would have just mm. give him a quick spray of vitamin d and off he goes you know it's much better and i'm not saying it's that simple or that easy but yeah but um linda was just showing us a bottle of <laughs> vitamin d spray it's, it's with me all the time <laughs> um but i know it's Some not it it's not always that some of it is yeah but sometimes it really is yeah some of it is and I I think if there are if there are any of those essentials that are weak points vulnerabilities and you see that on the report then that's where you go first and you know sometimes you would do additional testing to say okay well that's what the genes are indicating is probable or possible let's check um and again you know with vitamin d you can you can have too much of a good thing it's it's kind of not that easy to have too much of it but it's possible so working with a practitioner we would we would measure that um ideally or at a certain point to see what it actually takes to put that person in their optimal yeah zone isn't it um and for that individual it's like you know what this is where i am gonna spend my money on supplements Mm. um rather than a whole load of things that might not make any difference and have any particular benefit for them so I think that's another thing in terms of like investments like invest in the test it'll save you money in the long term but most of all it will mean that you're not overwhelming your body your liver with supplements that it still has to process that aren't Mm. gonna really do any good because haven't we all seen people come to us with a a, like a shopping list of supplements yeah. mm-hmm. as well yeah um and actually you know the body still needs more resource to process those and if there's just too much then that's a big load yeah. on the liver um and it might mean that you're not getting enough of the ones that you really need because you're struggling with the overall amount yeah. Yeah, we see that often, don't we, Andrea, with um, sort of 30 supplements and 
several of licensed drugs plus chemotherapy plus you know additional medication and it's it's really difficult to navigate and and actually understanding that you know first some of these medications may not even work for you for for you personally because of uh, of your detoxification that so that's it's really under important to understand that and make sure that we're supporting our clients again with precision and actually supporting them in the way that they will benefit from it and not not causing more harm mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I think it's also it's really interesting how so I can't I don't have the the necessary code to um to look after my glutathione in my body and one of the things that I've worked out is that actually I can't take it either it makes me feel really quite nauseous so it's not that simple sometimes you you know okay I can't I can't make glutathione but I can't take it either I have to go down a different route to to try and, and do that okay. so you know it's not it's not that straightforward as 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 you said earlier that's like the vitamin d that's fine or whatever but it's not that straightforward it can be a bit of a puzzle and there can be contradictions as well, even within the same report. So there could be something that says, actually, you know, turmeric and quercetin might be helpful to support X, like maybe to support serotonin. Um, but somewhere else, they're blocking removal of adrenaline. So <laughs> then you've got to look at, well, what's going on with that person, um, you know, in terms of is it that they have low serotonin and that needs supporting at the moment or is it that they've got a lot of stressors that are really creating big adrenaline surges and the priority for them at the moment is to be able to smoothly process that and get it out of there um so again yeah i think that is such an important point there are many ways to support a weak point and it's not always the obvious one. So we can go, well, that means we could do this, this or this. But, you know, how do you narrow that down and choose the one that's going to be most successful? Um, and when you've got a contradiction, either within the genes themselves, apparent contradiction, or because there's something else going on with that person's health and medication, for example, then what do you do? And we often get asked that, actually. It's like, oh, but it, this report's contradictory. And it's like, well, yeah, because the report isn't the full picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I reckon so that true. happens more often than not because we're such complicated people and life is complicated yeah. or we've made it complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so, yeah, I think, um, I mean, just on the subject of, removing substances i think in the context of cancer there are well in lots of contexts actually i think in very simple terms about what's going in the top of a funnel and what's coming out the other end um and is the process just moving is it moving is it you know is it is it cycling often we talk about systems interconnected systems interconnected processes and again that's it why although we can we can look at one thing we actually need to understand how it fits in the bigger picture Mm -hmm. um and you know it's almost like you can't put more of the good stuff in until you're clearing out the bottom end um to you know and sometimes that 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 clearing out has become very blocked and very inefficient and sluggish. And so, 
you've got a challenge about how do I get the good nutrients in in order to support that and it's you know it's a chicken and egg thing and that's sometimes why things take a long time um and we can understand from the genes why that situation might have happened or was always more likely to happen in the first place if that person was exposed to certain certain environmental substances um and we often talk about environmental toxins, but I think we're also just by being alive and being uh, having having biological things happening every day, we're generating our own toxins that need to be removed. Um, whether they're hormones, you know, hormones are good, but when they've done their job, they need to they need to go use it and lose it. You can yeah. apply that to so many things. When you guys go and talk to Emma, what is your process of thinking, okay, what am I going to talk to Emma about? Because she has a variety of tests that she can offer to support practitioners. And we're focusing again on people who do have cancer in this show. How do you map out what you're going to, what tests you're going to do? Or do you call Emma? What do you do? Does that help? So I look at the client in front of me because, of course, they're all different. Um and then I email Emma, I say, do you think that's my thought process is right? <laughs> just just to have a confirmation that um, I've chosen the right uh, panels for, for that particular client. Yeah. So, for, for example, if we, um, if we talk about breast cancer or any hormonal cancers, I always run the hormone detoxification panel. And I tend to run the methylation panel because they, those two are very important in those particular mm-hmm. cases. Um, yeah, different when, different cancers may, I may look at different a slightly different approach and different panel. Okay. And when you're talking um, hormonal cancers, you you mean both male and female, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we've got a panel called Estrogen Balance, and we're going to rename it actually and extend it because it it is misleading. It actually looks at the whole steroid hormone pathway, starting with cholesterol. And, you know, whether it's it's hormones that are made in ovaries and gonads and all of that, the sex steroid hormones, also things like uh, cortisol, we're going to put in there because oh, there cool. is so much. I mean, I always have these little moments on longer than a moment phases where I'm researching a particular aspect and I'm really, really interested in and doing a lot of work on stress and cortisol at the moment and the whole metabolic kind of consequences of that and you know how the body processes stress which things are stimulated like adrenaline like cortisol what does cortisol do it makes more sugar that's it's glucocorticoid what does sugar do if you don't then actually use it in a physic, physical way or physiological way, it, it causes inflammation, it causes damage. It's a very much, I think, a factor in, in cancer. And um, an effect on the hormone clearance also, isn't it? Very much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and cortisol um, is detoxified partly or majorly through a pathway called glucuronidation, which is the same pathway that where where other hormones go through especially things like estrogen um 
so you can imagine you know them I, I often think of this funnel with the kind of big top and the little pipe at the bottom is like that like how much is being pushed into mm. that funnel and what is the capacity of the pipe and it's almost like you can look at the genes that control the capacity of the pipe and also the nutrients that help kind of maximize that capacity but you also want to look at what's going in the top and whether you can control that um so to relieve the pressure on on that pipe as well um so you've got to look at both ends of that equation um and it is all interconnected you know um yeah and I just I don't know I can't I I there are aspects I think we can't each of us can't know everything but I find looking at the pathways and making the connections that way is really helpful um to understand how one thing can impact another um and what the common you know sometimes there is a common gene because genes have more than one role um as well so it might be god for this person this is the weak point that explains these symptoms that appear to be quite diverse but because they converge in this place um so therefore again so what there's no point just knowing this if you can't action it and you can't support it so your estrogen panel which um you just said you're going to expand and which is fabulous news um a lot of people who 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 come to see us with um a hormonal cancer potentially who are women who are postmenopausal and well i don't need to do that one because i don't have much estrogen anyway so what's the point kind of thing but there is still a point isn't there yeah there is still a point because whether you are male female whether you are young whether you are menopausal you still have estrogen in your environment um, and that estrogen, whether it's absorbed through packaging or other external sources, um, or you will still be generating some estrogen or you might be taking HRT. So there's a whole range of reasons that estrogen is still present and it needs to be efficiently processed um so it needs to go you know it is like looking at um it's like looking at uh almost like a, a a mountainside where you've got water flowing down and there are lots of different routes the water can flow and some of those might end up at a kind of a block blockage um there's a dam being built there or there's been a rock fall or whatever happens to be and actually we want to make sure that that path those pathways are as clear and open as possible um, to allow that to happen and also there are pathways that we know might be more unhelpful or potentially more risky than others because they can lead to more damage or debris dna damage for example whereas others it's just like no that's absolutely that's much more healthy kind of route to go you know don't get don't don't do it the hard way and we can use nutrition to divert the estrogen down the down the good road um rather than the one that's got a, a rock fall kind of on it and a whole load of chaos going on 
um, okay. if we know. And, and, you know, the power is we can look at the genes that are present in these pathways and see which ones are, have a better capacity than others. And with nutrients, we can help direct the estrogen down the good path. Um, and for the stuff that goes down the bad path, we can use nutrition to mop up a bit of the the mess, the debris um, as well. Okay. So, so I'm just going to move on a little bit in that very conscious of the time we could spend all day talking about nutrigenomics no, i know i was just thinking Ooh. i know so it's, it's a nutrient core and estrogen panel i don't know i mean linda you talked a little bit um about the detox and methylation panels that you like to use as well sometimes for cancer yeah, yeah. clients maybe we could chat about that for a minute or two i know it takes more than a minute or two <laughs> i talk about methylation <laughs> what is methylation um, yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> we could be what, here all day <laughs> because I, I mean methylation I used to almost dread people going what is it because it's like uh, yeah it's this weird word I mean definitely I don't know some really well-informed people might have heard of methylation um but it's still not in the kind of general kind of vocabulary of most most people um so basically what it is there is a, a chemical group called a methyl group that is a carbon and three hydrogens. And methylation, there are two types of methylation. There's a kind of biochemical methylation where this little methyl group, this molecule, is passed around from one substance to another. Um, and in doing so, it can activate and deactivate the various substances and we want enough of this little molecule to smooth the way in, in a lot of processes. And that molecule is, in order to make it, so we can make it um, ourselves, we need B vitamins, most of all. Um, so folate, B12, but all the B vitamins, really, and zinc and magnesium. And that's, those are the ingredients to make the methyl magic molecule that, that really keeps everything. It's like the oil in the engine. It's just keeping everything running nice and smoothly. Um, and if you don't have enough oil in the engine, then things start to get stuck and then they start to almost damage themselves um, and things aren't running smoothly. Um and one of the key things that is relevant to cancer is uh, DNA stability. So when we make new cells and we're renewing tissues in our body, which is happening all the time, um, those cells have to, the DNA has to be, your DNA has to be copied to make each new cell. Um, and we need enough of these methyl groups and the B vitamins, especially folate, and, and it's helpful cofactors to make sure that copying is nice and clear um, and tidy. It's a bit like you can think of a photocopier. You want to make sure there's enough ink in there to get a clean copy that is readable. Um, and if you don't have enough ink in there, then someone might look at the photocopy and they might misread it. And that means that your, your body, when it's trying to make a new cell, it, it, it is more likely to make a mistake 
Um, and that could be, I mean, that does happen all the time. And we know that that our cells, we've kind of, we're making cells that aren't perfect, as well as the good ones. There's different extents of, of, of damaged cells. Um, but actually, we want to try and make sure, do our best from a nutrition perspective to make sure that's as tidy and, and well supported as possible. Um and that there isn't too much tidying up to do of the things that haven't come out right. Um, so I think that's a really, really key kind of foundation, isn't it? When you think about cancer and how cancer can start, it's like, how early can you intervene in this process? Well, right at the beginning, try and make sure that it's not happening any more than it possibly has to. Um so sometimes we'll get a methylation report and I think, um, Linda, you said, you know, you've had the experience of getting a report and just going, wow, what's going on here? There's a lot of like red on it. Um, so we do use colour coding as that initial kind of way of identifying where to look. But these variances are very common. So we'll all have some of them and in a folate cycle, which is right at the beginning of methylation and supporting methylation, I have never seen a cycle that is totally perfect. And I've seen thousands of reports. No one's got it perfect. Mm. So we all need a little bit of help somewhere and we all need the firm foundation, but some people need a little bit of extra help in particular places to keep that as, as kind of clean and optimised as possible. That was a fab um, explanation of methylation. <laughs> it was. Oh. It was very good. It was very good. <laughs> I've, I've rehearsed it a lot. <laughs> Recorded and played to my clients when they yeah. asked me about methylation. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's more smooth than mine. <laughs> I think at college it was about a whole day to explain methylation. That was just fab. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. It's really, so, really nice. And, I think and, the, and then it, Go on. I was going to say that the methylation panel, then actually understanding how you process these B vitamins, then also helps us in again understanding how we support our clients because we, we often again see clients, you know, come with uh, B vitamin from Tesco, and hmm. you, you know that that's just not what you should be using because you're probably not going to be able to process any of that. Exactly. Explain why we need to have the right supplements yeah so um the b vitamins in the context of methylation have lots of what we call cofactors so you guys know what that means but basically they're the helpers so when we look at a, a, a process a, a chemical process sometimes we've got a methyl chemical but we also need other nutrients alongside it and with the b vitamins one mistake that people can easily make if they're just looking at a genetic test result, they can look at a gene called MTHFR. Um, and it's infamous, this gene. People get very, very upset when they see variances on it. Um, and it's because it can make a big difference. So what that gene MTHFR does is it activates folate. So it takes an inactive form of folate that you might get in food or in certain supplements, like certain cheaper supplements, um, or folic acid. Folic acid 
isn't in a form that is able to do anything yet. It needs to go through different stages and be activated. So MTHFR gene performs this activation step and makes it into something called methylfolate. Um, so sometimes people just think that they can overcome an MTHFR gene variance um, by taking any folate, and that's wrong because it still needs to go through that MTHFR step. So you've kind of interfered in the path in the in the in the stream before the problem even happens. It's like you're kind of doing something before the blockage, and actually the blockage is still going to stop the water. Um, and then other people just take methylfolate because they think that they're stepping around the problem because, hey, well, I can't make methylfolate, so I'll just take it. And in actual fact, methylfolate needs B12, vitamin B12, to go anywhere. So if you just take methylfolate, just because you've looked at one gene result and you haven't got the support of a practitioner to tell you otherwise, then that methylfolate is just going to be stuck. Mm. Most of it is stuck and it's not doing any good in terms of the DNA stability and it's not doing any good in terms of other downstream processes that help with nerve health with neurotransmitters with detoxification or any of that um so an orchestra of vitamins and minerals that nutrients that need to work together in order to make it all happen yeah really yeah yeah and that's why there are some lovely formulations if you do want to go down a supplement route that have been very carefully put together to include all the helper vitamins as well um and you know as practitioners we know and work with those companies and we know what options are available and that means that the money is well spent and it's not just the money so you know back to the if you take a supplement that you've bought for five pounds actually um, how much you're still going through the effort every day of remembering to take it and your body still has to process that capsule but yeah it's it's got so much of the rubbish in there and so little of the the thing that you need that it's it's a waste of five pounds whereas if you spend 20 pounds but every single kind of penny of that 20 pounds as being used to formulate things that are helpful then that's yeah. well spent yeah um, yeah yeah good point and again so, the important importance actually of working with a practitioner so we can check any contraindications because even b, b vitamins can be contraindicated with with some medication so it's really important to stress that yeah, yeah. And also some people don't respond well to B vitamins. So like Andrea was saying, you know, you can't really get on with glutathione. It doesn't do it for you. It makes you feel nauseous. So some people have adverse reactions to B vitamins and it's yeah. like they need them, but it's making them feel really wired or nauseous or whatever that is. And a practitioner can help get around that and look at the other ways of supporting it um, I think that's and that's I think that's really key I, um, I have a client with long COVID and um, we gave her some there's, there's a lot of supplements being brought out now to help with the issues of long yeah. COVID um, but as we all know 
the issues are very different for each individual person. It's a really difficult process to go through and find out what really is happening with somebody. Um, and she took yeah. B vitamins and she was completely wired and trembly and we cut it by half and she was okay. And, you know, it's kind of, you, you, you have to titrate, yeah. you have to start small and, um, and, and, yeah. and it's so, so different for each person. Yeah. And sometimes it can take a while as well. So that's an example of like, it was too much too soon mm. for that individual. Yeah. But other people be like, oh, I've been taking this for four weeks. I mean, we had someone contact us last week who said this, I've been taking this methyl multi support for four weeks and I don't really think that I've noticed any difference. Uh, but by the way, I did stop my HRT at the same time. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, your practitioner, talk to your practitioner, but basically there are two things there. One is that, you know, you've not given it very long at all. Like four weeks isn't very long. We don't know anything. I don't know anything about your start point, like status-wise. I don't know about other things. And you've changed something else that could, you know, she was like, um, you know, I, I have, it's basically I was expecting to feel less fatigued, it's like okay well the b vitamins might be helping the fatigue but if you've just suddenly stopped hrt that might be having an opposite effect <laughs> so the b vitamins just might have allowed that to be more steady and at least it's not really plummeted mm. but it's all these moving parts yeah you know we are it's a massive just, skill. we are just walking chemical reactions and every time we you know make a slight change here or there it changes something else and i mm. you know i think i still go back to my uh lecture on hormones and I can't remember who it was telling me that if you took every single drop of hormone out of your body you'd still only have a quarter of a teaspoonful and that you know that so any slight change when you think of all the hundreds of different hormones you have crazy. any any yeah. slight change is you know minute change is going to make a difference yeah yeah that's a really good point actually it is that's tiny tiny amounts of things tiny. we're dealing with yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can make a huge difference. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking Absolutely. forward to your um, steroid one. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that, Emma. <laughs> yeah, that no, honestly. Really I mean, for me, it's really joined up so many dots about stress and metabolic kind of imbalances and damage and da da da. You know, and who who is not exposed to stress in this world? It's unavoidable. Um, my my kind of perspective is always try and work back up the chain to say where can you intervene to prevent damage happening in the first place so if you can't avoid the exposure but then you can do things around how you process the, ex the exposure to that stress that's like the first point it's the overcoming of the limbic kind of instinctive response that triggers the adrenaline and all of that or at least you won't be able to override that completely, but it's ways of processing it and mindset. And I think that's another thing that people don't necessarily understand about nutritional therapy is it's not just food. It's about the whole, you know, so that's why we talk about sleep. We talk about mindset. We talk about things like meditation mm -hmm. and exercise and activity and all of those things as well, because yeah. they all, it's, in terms of the balls in the air and the moving parts, they're all part of that picture, aren't they? Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Food and lifestyle, such an important aspect. And I think that's yeah. really important for, for the for the guys going through a cancer journey as well, because a lot of people find it they struggle to to move or um, you know, it's a, it's a can be a really difficult process. And it, again, you know, other practitioners, integrated practitioners know how to help people move and you know it doesn't mean go for a 10 mile hike and you'll be fine no it doesn't mean that it's different forms of movement and integrative therapists can really help show you the way forward in terms of just moving your body a little bit and and, you know another just being diagnosed with cancer is stressful yeah 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 Yeah. absolutely how, how you process these stress hormones is so important yeah yeah yeah, and that comes back to what we said at the beginning about, you know, it's what our bodies generate endogenously ourselves that need to be processed. It's not just, you know, that external exposures, which are important too, um, but that is a massive part of it, really, really significant, I think. And things like, I think it's interesting, Andrea, that you mentioned long COVID as well, because uh, fatigue is a really big one, isn't it? It's yeah. like people do a little bit of of activity and then they're flawed again um and i think this there's a lot around that around mitochondrial yeah. um dynamics and you know the poor old mitochondria have kind of been beaten up by this overload of inflammation and you know maybe it, it's just over revving that's happened to them i do think of them as like cowering and they're surrounded by quite a lot of debris and a little bit of of activity can easily just kind of send them into shock again mm-hmm. um so it's it's yeah it's about gradual yeah. gradual kind of approaches and nutrition and other approaches along the way but yeah different ways of different ways of being active and moving yeah. as you say Right, yeah. so what haven't, it's, it's almost been an hour, yep. so it all flies by, it always does. Are there any key things that um, you all want to address right now that we haven't? I mean, we, we could talk for five hours at least, at we a minimum could. with Emma, but um, is there anything in particular you want to bring up right now? I mean, I, we, I guess we haven't discussed too much about external um, toxins, for okay. example, and again, you know, there are different extents to which we can control exposure to them. But we can look at genetics and when we look at detoxification, we can look at, we've got a phase one set of genes, phase one and phase two, um, basically. So phase one, if phase one genetically means that that process happens more quickly, that can mean that toxins are more easily assimilated and more kind of almost like sucked in it's like oh there's some kind of exhaust fume here i'll just kind of pull that into the body more quickly um and if the you have variances on those genes that can that can tend people to have a more rapid kind of assimilation of certain toxins which then creates a bigger load of work for the phase two to do and Typically, if you have variances on your phase two genes, that means they are more likely to be slower and to struggle more. So you've got this double whammy, really. It's like the open kind of thing and the closed thing. 
Um, but you know, I think it is useful to know what particular external things could be particularly risky for certain individuals. Um, and even going back to the caffeine, mm. I think, so caffeine, people look at a genetic result and if their caffeine metabolism detoxing is fast, they think, oh, that's good. I'm all right. I don't have to think about caffeine anymore. It's just all right. It's fine. It's, it's, it's fast. But actually, in a bigger picture way, that same gene that processes caffeine processes other things, including mould and including smoke and things like that. So, and you could find yourself, or one could, in a situation where by drinking a lot of caffeine and thinking it's all cool and you kind of ever so macho about your caffeine habits, um, you're inducing that gene and that pathway to work more quickly. So if you are at the same time as drinking or having caffeine exposed to mould, mycotoxins, or other environmental toxins that go through that pathway, by having a lot of caffeine, you're potentially pushing those through. So you're absorbing more of them. So, you know, that's why, that's why, again, why we need that the knowledge of of in of practitioners to explain that to people um so it's in one context it's another example of something might be good in one way but not in another depending what's going on Um, those um those genes that you're talking about there they they are you check those on the detoxification panel that's the yeah. yeah 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 So we look at a whole load, they're called CYP450s and they process medications, a lot of smoky things, a lot of hormones, um, all go through that phase one. Alcohol is another set of genes. So we know that alcohol is incredibly connected with cancer risk. Um, Partly it uses up loads and loads of essential nutrients to process the alcohol. Um, and it creates free radicals which go around and chip away at various tissues and DNA as well. Um, but some people, no one gets a free pass when it comes to alcohol, but for some people it's definitely worse for them than it is for others. So again, it can be a way of just kind of stop and think, we're not saying this just to be mean to you. Like, you, you know, there really is a, a kind of, you know, understanding as to why. Um, so alcohol, things like pesticides and oxidised fats as well, going through another pathway. And people, again, often people who who are slim um, or not overweight but eat a lot of processed food, I think, oh, it's all right. I eat a load of crisps and biscuits, but it's not, like, doing me any harm because I'm not overweight, I don't have to worry about it. Actually, those those processed foods contain a lot of oxidised fats. The fats are deliberately oxidised to make them more stable, but when they are processed through your liver, they're actually incredibly damaging, and we can look at genes to say this person's really particularly poor at processing those oxidised fats, and that's the kind of hidden damage that might be going on under the surface and people just think because you know they look all right on the outside but there's nothing bad going on on the inside um so that's a bit of a reset for people 
I mean, my other half loves all that sort of food. And he's six foot two. So I'm four foot 11. He's six foot two. Um, he, can, he can eat for Britain and he never seems to kind of put on any weight. But it doesn't mean that he can eat rubbish because, uh, you know, he has had, um, he has had things, health issues in the past that are, are related to inflammation. Uh, so, and he knows that when he eats rubbish and he eats badly and he falls off the wagon, that that's when he starts to get lower back pain. All those weak points start to actually, you know, come to the fore. So, you know, he knows and his genes tell the story. Okay. <laughs> so so you, you actually have the, the real proof to, to get him and say, actually, this is true. You know, it's not just yeah. me saying yeah. whatever. No, I'm no. Going on and like he's a pretty good. Record. He's pretty good, to be fair. He's really, I mean, he's found it really interesting. And I think yeah. you know, families can do testing. Mm-hmm. You can look at who's inherited what from each parent and mm-hmm. do all that comparison. And, you, you know, often, how often have, do we hear people say, oh, my children are so different. You know, one one of them's really outgoing, the other's really quiet and studious or whatever. And you can look at their genetics and you can at least understand a little bit more, you know, why they why they are, how they are. And it isn't it isn't about good and bad. It's it's what makes us who we are. It's it's about uh, again embracing the differences, really. Um but when those differences might mean that a certain environment collaborates in a negative way, then we can make sure that environment is altered and that it's helping nurture and support our genes rather than fighting them. I think that's the, the key takeaway from today, really, isn't it? That you your genes can, the gene, like you said earlier, there's the code. No, it's there. That's what it is. Um, it. But it's not necessarily dictating the way that your life is going to go. You can, I think somebody once said, um, I think, Linda, maybe you said it to me, that your genes loads the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. And I think it's about... Yeah. I, I stole it somewhere. You know. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I used that earlier today as well. But, you know, you are a nutrigenomics detective, Emma. Yes, You really the, are. Yeah. You are a detective. Oh, I like that. It's true. I like it's true. I love listening. it as well. Yeah, well, it's obvious. It's obvious. It just oozes, you know, you just glow with it when you're talking about it. And it's great that we have you as such a resource to to help mm-hmm. us, to support people and to help them understand that, that this is actually a really valuable tool to have to utilize so people can really understand why their body is doing what it's doing. And I think it is. It's fascinating. It's exciting. And um, we're so lucky we have you. And I was really value the fact that, you know, when uh, we get the results back, actually, I get to speak to you and, and you take me through the results, which is brilliant because that just makes it so much easier to navigate. But also, you know, you, you see all those re- connections and really simplify it in a way that then I can easily translate it to my client because they look at the report and think, oh, my goodness, what does that mean? But if I can simplify it into just few points you know and give them instructions what we do to go forward and I think that's that's just amazing and I think that shows exactly why 
doing genetic testing as um you know a, a lay person um and getting it through and reading it is just so the wrong way to go mm. and you know we've been trained we've done three four years of training and no emma you you're the genetic expert i've done so much more but we did genetics on our course and yet for us to understand it as much as is necessary we still need to talk to you emma because mm. you're the expert in it and i think you know, if we need to do that, and we've been trained so far in it, you know, the layperson needs, you know, needs that. It's just, it's it's almost pointless for them to go and get a genetic report and try and work from it themselves. It drives me nuts, actually, when I see, um, no, it, it does, when I, when I see companies pushing, like, these sorts of tests at people without the support Um, and also some of the claims that are made around what certain gene results mean are just it's over inflated it's like for the drama it's to draw people in of course it's a bit like the old weight loss diets same sort of thing it's just marketing and selling Mm -hmm. and actually I do I do believe that we are real about this we're realistic um, because we don't need to make it up there's so much convincing useful genuinely clinically applicable stuff here that we don't need to over exaggerate any of it Mm -hmm. Um, and you know just to kind of um, compliment you guys as well I think Mm -hmm. there is this is all about what you do with the client. It is all about it. And, you know, we take it so far. Um, and I love doing the practitioner support because that, again, is for me, it's kind of going, this is what it's for. Mm-hmm. This is what it is all about. And you are the guys at the front line kind of conveying that. So we just, it, all I can say is just keep keep on it. The more you do, the more you understand. And that's the same for me as well. Um, it's just those, 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 it's like with learning anything and experiencing anything, isn't it? The things such just start new, to fall into place. And it's such a new area as well, isn't it? I mean, nutrigenomics mm. has not been around for that long. So it's no. an up and coming area. And every day, every, you know, it's probably not every day, but, you know, on a regular basis, there are lots of new things coming out about it. So. You know, Absolutely. I didn't have that lecture when I was studying at CNM that we didn't have nutrigenomics because it was so, so new. We've mm. just got to touch yeah. the MTH of far. That was the only thing really we, we were taught about. So I, I would say I was a skeptic for, for a while because I, I suppose I didn't have that introduction to it. Mm. But once I've discovered it, you know, I, I think that it's such an amazing tool in my clinic. I remember yeah. my head being turned inside out when yeah. I when I went through it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we yeah. go. It's great. So it is wonderful. Right. I'm just conscious of the time, so I am going to say we'll have to leave it there for now. I'm sure we would love to have you on again and maybe talk about some other things. But for now, on behalf of Andrea and Linda, thank you so much, Emma. It has been such a delight to have you with us. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure to see you all and to to chat this morning. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening to our conversation with Emma. What a wealth of information and knowledge she has to share with us. If you would like to get in touch with Emma, or if you would like to get in touch with one of us, please be sure and send us an email or you can send us private messages on the various social media platforms, which I will provide on the show notes. 
It is important to note that the service that Emma provides is specifically for healthcare practitioners. So if this is something you are interested in, please seek advice, talk with a healthcare practitioner or one of us, and we would be delighted to assist you further. So then I'd also like to ask you to do a few other things. And one of them is if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast or leave us a review or share this with other people you feel might find them of benefit. I'd like to thank you all for joining us on the podcast. And on behalf of Linda and Andrea, here's wishing you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.